0: I feel like I've almost been ahead of the curve my entire career. And I don't, I don't necessarily mean that in a positive way, because we were out there selling uh, web-based portfolio management before people really had a solid grasp on what the internet was. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned, you know, a lot of our challenges just tried to describe what we're trying to do. So that's, that's not necessarily a great spot to be in.
1: When Matt Abar sold his portfolio management startup to Advent back in 2002, he didn't expect to hear that they were sunsetting his system only a year after the acquisition. Needless to say, this made a lot of people very upset, including both their customers and Matt himself. But he didn't let that stop him, and he went on to launch a new portfolio management platform that he's still running today called Finfolio. Matt and I went deep into the history of portfolio management systems, how technology has changed the way vendors are building advisor software, and a whole lot more on this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. Thanks for joining me here in the wonderful world of wealth tech. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and I run a consulting firm called Ezra Group. We're experts in everything related to wealth tech. We deliver growth oriented solutions to banks, broker dealers, asset managers, and their technology providers through our advice and research. On this podcast, I speak with some of the smartest people in the industry who are on the leading edge of both technology and innovation. Please subscribe uh, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review on iTunes and share this episode on your social media networks. And I'd like to welcome my guest for this episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast. Uh, I have Matt Abar, founder of Finfolio. Hey, Matt. Welcome to the program.
0: Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks for being here. And uh, you can't see if you're listening at home, but Matt is in, uh, You're at Sa- on Sanibel Island right now. You just arrived for your vacation. So thanks a lot for uh, taking some time out from your vacation to talk to me.
0: Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's beautiful here. We just got in yesterday.
1: Yeah, when you, when you first turned on this, uh, the camera and I saw the, the palm trees, I'm like, that's not Denver.
0: <laughs> uh, no, it's not. It's, it looks uh, good. Very nice. We're down here for a month working mm-hmm. vacation.
1: Smart. Got to keep, you got to work from everywhere. That's why I, I know I run, I run a virtual company so we can work from everywhere and everyone's taking up the same charge. So I love it. Uh, so, can you give us a, a quick 30 second elevator pitch on Finfolio?
0: Sure. Finfolio is a full platform for wealth managers. It prints reports, it does client portals. You can trade with it, you can push trades out over the fixed network. We have a very sophisticated rebalancer that. Uh, Is kind of the front end of that, as well as several direct trading tools. It also lets advisors build their accounts. And there's a lot of uh, analytical tools inside the software itself, dashboards and things like that for you to answer questions about your practice. And that's Finfolio.
1: Indeed. Yeah, I really like, uh, I know I, I followed you guys for a while. We were just talking. I wrote an article on my blog called 47 Portfolio Management Systems Can't All Possibly Survive. Uh, but you guys are definitely in the top of the ones who I think will survive because you've really done a good job with your platform. And I've, I've kind of followed you guys over, over the years, but can you, I wanted to to dive a little bit, uh, before we went into what's going on with Finfolio into your history, because you've really got a real, uh, a very long history in the industry and specifically with portfolio management systems. Uh, can you talk a bit about how you got started and, and what brought you into the industry?
0: Sure. I know you recently did an interview with Steve Strand, one of the founders of Advent, and I entered not quite that far back, but uh, in that era, I would say, I got my start working for a guy named Dave Huxford, who founded DB Cams. DB Cams was the first database-based portfolio management system, and they were, I believe, they were the main competitor of Advent. And at the time, I was working for them back in '93, I think '92, '93. They were doing very well. Um, they were underpricing. They were in an area of the country that probably had a third of you know employee cost uh, compared to what Advent must have had in San Francisco. Uh, like I said, it was the first database-based portfolio management system, which gave them a lot of advantages, and it was going very very quickly. Unfortunately, their founder Dave uh, died in a plane crash, and I left the company right around that time. Um, and you know, obviously, as history played out, Advent you know won and you know, dominated that market for for quite some time. But that was that was where I got my start. Um, I actually left DBCams to move to Denver. I was uh, ultimately the CTO of a company called Investment Advisory Network. They created the first mutual fund wrap system and had clients like Bank of New York and Oppenheimer and sold that behind the scenes to a lot of the mutual fund families that were pushing their product out, like through their own vehicles in this mutual fund wrap. Um, I did that for a little while, then eventually went back to portfolio management and started a company called TechFi. And TechFi did some interesting things. We had a desktop product that was competing with Portfolio Center, uh, who also was, you know, really getting started at the time, we were actually the first relational, um, I'm sorry, SQL-based database management system. And that gave us a lot of advantages because you could do stuff very easily with SQL as opposed to the old school type of database management systems. But our real plan SQL
1: is a structured query language. It's a computer term for how databases uh, languages... That's
0: right. right. Yeah. Nowadays... Almost everything is SQL-based uh, in portfolio management and mm-hmm. everything else. You know, Any website you go to with any amount of complexity right. has some type of almost certainly SQL engine you know, on the back end doing storage. And,
1: and just to insert a, a little tech history there, Advent was not SQL-based. They were flat file-based, I meaning they had thousands of individual files in a, in a, right. in a directory that they used to, to, full, to pull data rather than a relational database. That's what, that was the differentiator.
0: Uh, that's right. Yes, and Advent Access, uh, which used to be their core product and still has many, many users, uh, is still flat file based. I believe they have a more modern system, APX, that is uh, SQL based. So even Advent has uh, eventually ended up on the SQL, the SQL train.
1: And even more confusing is Microsoft called their database server SQL Server.
0: Yes, yes, it worked. I right. think they're the uh, dominant player now. Um, not only were the first SQL based system, by the way, uh, TechFi, we also went with Microsoft SQL Server, mm-hmm. which was extremely low priced. We actually were on a version that was free to the end user because this was at a time where Oracle was dominating. And, you know, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure even small installs were high five figures. And,
1: you yeah, know, they, they charge per server CPU. It was very expensive because we, we were doing development on that.
0: Yeah. So we took a risk on Microsoft. Oh, and I can remember us being in. You know, several conversations with larger companies who were just laughing at the fact we're on Microsoft SQL (laughs) Server, saying it will never work, you can't scale, and uh, it could scale. You know, we had a lot of experience with it at that point. It was a wonderful product, still is today.
1: I know you've told the story a bunch of times, but can you talk about uh, how TechFly became very successful and you sold it to Advent in two thousand and two?
0: Yeah, we did sell it to Advent, uh, but I'm, I'm I did miss something. Where TechFi really took off is we launched the first internet-based portfolio management service. Mm -hmm. We actually called it AdvisorMart. I think everybody but me actually just called it TechFi. But at the time we sold to Advent, we had close to 100 people on that. And it was a very different sale than what we do today because back then, you know, people had heard of the internet. Most people hadn't even used the internet. Or if they did, it was to, you know, make their way to Yahoo and search on, you know, pictures of kittens and knitting and you know, things like that. The concept of a uh, you know service delivered uh, on that with like sensitive client data, things like mm-hmm. that is a very, very new concept. So the way the sales tend to go is if we were able to understand the concept and get them to understand what we we're actually delivering via via that, they would they would usually sign up for it. because uh, it was a very compelling offer. You got to change the, the model by which this type of service was delivered, because at that time, every single person using dbcams or advent was doing their own downloads, doing their own data reconciliation. And you had to be very, very technically sophisticated to be able to pull this off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, shifting it over to the, the, the service model where you've got this central group of people doing all that reconciliation, that's a really, really big deal. And I think for this industry, more than most others, because of that data management component, it's very compelling.
1: Yeah, so something happened when, after Advent bought you. I mean, you'd think there's so many mergers and acquisitions going on and a lot like a lot of firms will buy a, a small startup to try to learn from them and and incorporate their technology into their systems and and try to 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 grow from that but that's not what advent did when they bought you what did they do when they when they purchased you
0: within 12 months after advent purchasing us they had announced that they were going to sunset the product in our industry that's not totally uncommon I believe it was a lot harder to do mergers and acquisitions back back then than I think it is now. Uh, all the technology plays together in a in a much better way. But I actually need to defend Advent here. Um, it did go poorly. With the experience that I have now, looking back on this, I was roughly thirty at the time I did this, with no real business background. You know, traditional like entrepreneur skill set technical founder. There definitely were some things that I would have done differently contractually and trying to protect the clients a little bit better, but it was the worst timing. This was back when the NASDAQ was at 5,000 and it dropped down to 1,000, like (laughs) Advent stock was, this is like the first dot-com crash Mm -hmm. is is what I'm I'm describing here. So Advent stock went from something like 90 down to 10. And they Mm -hmm. entered this mode where they laid off the entire executive team they were trying to do cost-cutting, they were looking at, you know, after they had relayed off the executive team with, like, the planning of how this was going to integrate into their suite, they had nobody to really explain the story in the right way to make everybody understand, like, this was not an overlap with, like, the existing products that they had, there was a unique place for this, but they were just, you know, cutting everywhere they could, and they had this company that they bought out in Denver, whereas everybody else was mostly in San Francisco, and it was really, really bad timing, so, It really went bad, but I feel that if this had not happened at that exact point in time, um, I feel like that would have been a successful merger, and it would have ended up okay.
1: I'm going to take a break from this episode, talk about one of my favorite sponsors, the Invest in Others Foundation. Invest in Others recognizes individual advisors and firms that are making a difference by donating their time and money to causes they care about. By sharing their stories and awarding funding to these organizations, Invest in Others builds critical visibility, encourages others to get involved, and channels additional resources to those in need uh, by highlighting the important work being championed by the financial services community. The Invest in Others Foundation has been around for 12 years. Uh, I've only been uh, working with them for, I think, three years now. Really great stuff, lots of interesting projects, not only in the U.S., but all over the world. Uh, I would uh, recommend everyone please go to investinothers.org Uh, Check out what they're doing, make a donation, uh, get your employer to match it if they can, and see how you can get involved. They're going to be opening up their nominations for advisors who are working with charities, and you should nominate an advisor you know to see if they can get some funding for their charity. I'm on a couple of the judging committees, and I'll tell you, one charity seems more worthy than the next. It's really hard to pick. So any money you give is going to go to a good cause uh, somewhere in the U.S., somewhere around the world. It's a great way to help uh, a lot of people. So please go to investinothers.org and make a donation today. So you've kind of come full circle on this and you feel you you seem very zen about it.
0: Um, Yeah, at the time it was really tough because I, you know, I had clients that had counted on me and employees and, you know, this whole thing was collapsing and there was really nothing anybody could do at that point. Like in theory, maybe I could have sold the vision a little bit better you know, to the new group of people that are now running Advent, but I don't don't think that was realistic. It's Mm. hard to explain this in a way where I think I'm really getting across like just how fixed this was with the timing, but like, I don't think there was anything that we we could have done, even now looking back on it. You know, maybe just avoid the merger altogether, but in, again, in retrospect, Mm. like another thing that was going on was a our sales went down to a third of what they were. We were going along at a very, very fast pace. So we needed to go raise capital. You know, this is this is why the sale to admin ended up looking very attractive because we needed to raise capital. Nobody was actually funding companies at that point. We could have done a round, but would have been, you know, what you call a down round. Um, we would have had to give up a huge amount of equity. I would have, you know, definitely lost control of the company. And, not really sure what would have happened because we didn't have anybody that was familiar with our industry interested in investing money. It would have been somebody totally from the outside mm-hmm. that didn't understand the nuances. Um, it was, uh, yeah, just this perfect storm of many, many bad things coming together all at once.
1: Yeah, so timing is all, is all very important when it comes to mergers and when it comes to business in general. Sometimes you're at the right place at the right time and sometimes you're not.
0: Uh, yeah, in many ways we were at the right place at the right time, but uh, several things... You know, ended ended up ending that a little quicker than it should have.
1: But it all worked out, and now you're back, right? So you, you you've uh, you, you've been running Finfolio since 2008. Yep. And you, you're you're doing quite well. And you know, can can you talk about how you started Finfolio, and you know what made you want to build out this entire platform end to end, rather than just focusing on you know portfolio management as as a service itself.
0: Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good question. So I had a very long no compete uh, when I when I sold my company to Advent. So part of this was just the no compete completing, and me oh. wanting wanting to start another company and do something productive. This is what I know, and it was the obvious place to start. As far as building out the platform, I have a development background, and I, in a sense, don't know any other way to do this. Uh, I build. Uh, portfolio management systems for other people like me, for power users who might want to hook into things mm. and extend it and make it their own. Um, so I think if I were to start anything, it would be uh, in that vein. And what I what I saw looking back at you know roughly like 2009-ish, um, there were a lot of systems out there, a lot of people mimicking what TechFi had been doing with the internet delivered service. And I didn't see anybody who was really leaning into customization and creating a tool that advisors could really manipulate heavily and and make their own. So I started Finfolio with the intent of it being extremely open. Um, there's really neat stuff you can do with our platform. You can create your own calculations. You create it in... Uh, you know, one of the Microsoft tools and you drop the DLL in a certain place and your calculation all of a sudden is showing up on all the reports and on the dashboards as an option for you to be able to, uh, like, show it. Um, we're, we're doing some things that I don't think anybody else in this industry is doing. High level, it comes from my development background.
1: Indeed. And what I liked about it is you, you've really built out a full uh, end-to-end system. Uh, you know, from the beginning, you know, if you look at the, uh, the the wealth management life cycle, you start from the beginning, from opening the account all the way through portfolio construction, rebalancing, billing, client portal. Uh, so that's a, really a, a full end-to-end stack. So what was the difficulty in, in doing that? What kind of challenges did you have to overcome to build that type of robust platform?
0: Well, we're doing it in a different way than most people in this industry are. Um, I'm a builder. We don't acquire companies. We don't acquire blocks of technology. So the challenges that we have are putting mechanisms in place for doing everything in one code base without it getting out of hand. And there are, you know, many best practices now. This is much easier to do now than it would have been 20 years ago. But what I think is the winning vision for wealth managers is to have everything in one platform. There was a little bit of a point you know, 10 years ago where it looked like you could get away with like doing integrations and moving data back and forth. But I feel like that didn't pan out the way that it could have. Um, You certainly can hook tools together, but you do end up running into limitations. So doing the best of breed approach where you would have a different piece of technology for each function of a back office. Uh, I think that's actually it, it works, but it's very limited right now. And I do think there are several companies, including Finfolio, that are on the track of having just this full back office with everything there in one place. And you were asking about the challenges. You know, like I said, it's it's tough to do that all in one code base. You know, we have different blocks of business logic for rebalancing versus, you know, different like calculations that we have at the engine, things like that. And it's really just best practices, you know, making sure you maintain the code correctly, making sure that you have, you know, product managers that, you know, make changes at one place and they're aware of like how that could affect other places. And I'm, I'm getting, you know, a little bit into the weeds now, but we also have a ridiculously thorough suite of unit tests that lock down every core piece of business functionality so when we make changes to something, there's thousands, I want to say more than 10,000 at this point, automated tests that run, like say for rates of return, it's going to have you know 150 tests that check like the simple parts of rates mm-hmm. of return, they check like x dates with dividends. every single situation that you would encounter is like lockdown an automated test. so if you make a change to uh, I don't know, maybe your market value calculation that accidentally changes something in your rates of return, you immediately know about it. So the person who broke it can figure out what they did wrong and, and fix it. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of just modern development techniques that have like enabled us to do this without, you know, losing track of things and having the code base become a block of spaghetti code. That's, that's impossible to maintain.
1: A lot different than when you were programming tech five thirty 30 years ago.
0: Yes. No, uh, no safety net or, or guide wires or anything back back twenty years ago. Uh, state of state of development has has come a long way,
1: but it's also allowed a lot of smaller firms to create tools uh, that appear similar to yours. Now the, yep. that's because of the front end, the the, the robust frameworks that are available now on the on front end development. It's much easier to build very good looking interfaces that maybe don't have so much behind them. And that's what we see a lot with demos. There's a lot of bells and whistles and a lot of smoke and mirrors. But when you start digging deep, that's why I like going into these little into the weeds. Because if you don't go into the weeds, you you can kind of get wowed by by the bells and whistles.
0: Yeah, this is a tough industry on a, on a few different levels, but that's one of them. You know, it's it's hard to build. You know, an app that does something. You know, even if it looks really good, that just uh, every advisor out there is slightly different. It's it still constantly amazes me just how many different little slight little spins you can see on kind of what seems like the exact same type of like, you know, rebalancing methodology and things like that. Um, It's rare that we run into somebody who is just plain vanilla, doesn't need like any customization or extra features or anything like that. And something that's happened, this is good, Mm -hmm. but something that's happened just in the last few years is that the front end technology, the ability to create these compelling screens and, and graphics like that's really come a long way. There's a few, you know, technology out technologies that have come out there for single page apps, we use React, which I think is the leading technology, took a big chance on it three or four years ago, but now that's really paid off for us. But yeah, you can go out with, you know, just one or two like front end designers, create something that looks really good, but then you spend your next, you know, five to 10 years building out the back end as you start getting customer features with every single client that you sign up.
1: I want to get a little bit more into the weeds. <laughs> Hopefully we've won loose to many people. I want to talk about your pivot two years ago to using RESTful APIs. And I won't get into the details of what a RESTful API is, but uh, can you just explain what that is and why you chose it and how that, that changed the way you build your platform?
0: I feel like I've almost been ahead of the curve by... Entire career, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean that in a positive way, because we were out there selling web-based portfolio management before people really had a solid grasp on what the internet was. And like I mentioned, you know, a lot of our challenges mm-hmm. just tried to describe what we're trying to do. So that's that's not necessarily a great spot to be in. I tend to see the internet in these or portfolio management technology in these waves of like technologies that have like hit, where it seems like it hits the mainstream, then five years later it trickles its way down to the space that we all live in, you know, this uh, investment advisor uh, technology space. So internet was obviously a wave. The REST API, I think, is a wave. Also, this mm-hmm. modern, like, graphical interface, This uh, these single-page apps are, are another wave. So there's two things going on that, that portfolio is taking advantage of. The first is the REST API that mm-hmm. you just mentioned. So this is almost like the database revolution, where all of a sudden you've got, you know, with the databases, you have your information in one space, one place, it's formatted in a way that makes sense, and you can start writing queries and pulling information out of it. The REST API is the same thing except for business logic. So if you were a user of, say, TechFire or Portfolio Center, when when you know they were on the SQL databases, you could pull information out like transactions, you could pull out maybe like monthly rates of return because they were stored in the database, but if you wanted like a point-to-point rate of return or maybe like realized gain or something like that, it just wasn't there. That was something that was calculated on the fly when you were running the reports. It wasn't there to query in the database. So with a REST API, the information is there. It's not stored, but the calculations that it from the stored data are available for you to query in a very similar way to uh, how you can pull stuff out of the database. So the best example, I don't think this is an appropriate forum for doing screen sharing and things like that. It's an audio podcast, but like I could open up a spreadsheet And then show you in the REST API, hey, this is where you make a query to the database and you say, I want, you know, this account grouped by asset class with a rate of return, unrealized gain and market value. And it generates this string that can be plugged into a web browser and it pulls back a data set. Or you can also plug it into your spreadsheet and it pulls back a data set into your spreadsheet. And then, boom, you've got essentially a report right there for you to format in Excel, Google Sheets, whatever you care to use, and for a power user, you can start iterating on that, and you know, next thing you know, you might have a 10-page spreadsheet that's essentially your quarterly report, each one with a different data set that's pulled out of this REST API, and Finfolio is leading the way on this. Uh, some of our competitors have REST APIs, but they built them as afterthoughts. And what we did when we did our pivot two years ago, we built a REST API. We did that three years ago and then started iterating on screen design and things like that. uh, And then waited until the REST API was mature and working and then built the the front end entirely on top of that. So we don't cheat. It's called we we used to call this eating your own dog food. Um, Like, you know, I think Microsoft coined that term where they phrase where you, you know, you don't just build something and then push Mm -hmm. it out to your users. Like you use it internally yourself and that's how your products Mm -hmm. get really solid. So, you know, we have the best API out there for, you know, professional wealth managers, everything that our main app does, everything that I was talking about with, you know, doing fixed trading and rebalancing, things like that. You can trigger it all from within the REST API. You could build a spreadsheet that would run your entire practice.
1: And I think that's where you were not necessarily on the cutting edge, but right in line with everyone, everyone around three years ago, seemed like they were getting more into APIs. Four years ago, APIs are really booming, and REST API being a true internet-based API built on the HTTP protocol was what was the what was the dominant. So you're right, you're right in line there, and, and building out your platform based on APIs is what everyone's trying to re- retrofit their systems now to.
0: That's right, and I, you know, a little self-serving here, but if you don't do this. In the beginning, before you start writing your code, it's always going to be this little add-on. And again, you've got to eat your own dog food. Your own product should be using that API, or else it's never going to really solidify to the point where you can make the claim that you know you can do anything. You know, anything that like our app can do, you can do programmatically through the API.
1: When you built your technology, when you built your company, you're you're, you're a pure technology company. There's a lot of other, there's, there's more portfolio management or what I call RIA platforms or advisory platforms out there that are adding uh, TAMP services. So they're, they're adding investment management, launching their own RIAs to go along with technology, but you haven't done that. Is, uh, is that something you're considering or, or you've or you decided you're, you're staying as a pure tech play?
0: Our plan is to stay as a pure tech play and we've actually partnered with companies out there to help them build a TAMP. Um, the way that we see it, our job stops at the point you would need you know fiduciary responsibility to do something. So, We'll give you the tools to have a single button that you click to like rebalance your accounts, but we're not going to click that button for you. And like I said, we, we prefer to partner with companies. I can you know, give you names. Advisory Alpha comes to mind. They're a TAMP out there servicing the low end of the market, mm-hmm. smaller advisors, I should say. Not really low end. Actually, a lot of those guys are very sophisticated. But they deliver a really compelling service, you know, based on our technology. And we are happy to be the technology vendor to anybody who wants to build a TAMP platform. We don't have any plans to do that ourselves.
1: Good to know. And, and, and what I also notice is you have a lot of very eclectic mix of uh, broker-dealers and custodians that you're connected to. You know, mo- most firms we talk to, well, they do the big four or not even maybe the big four, they just do two or three of them. But you've not only done the big four, which is soon to be the big three, but you've also got a lot of smaller ones like Interactive Brokers and you know, M&T Bank. So why did you do that? And, and how does that? I think that gives you a bit of an advantage with some, uh, some RIAs.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think that to do this type of work, to sell this type of product, you need to have a commitment to always building out your interface library. You know, We've done it in a very smart way. We have an interface framework. It's easier to add one more custodian to the platform than it would be for somebody starting, starting fresh. And you need direct data feeds to do this right. You know, there's companies out there that do a reasonably good job, you know, with the screen scraping side of it. Uh, we've partnered with all accounts, They do a, a very good job delivering it. But fundamentally, they're still, in many cases, just pulling information off of a screen. You know, it's literally scraping it. If they change the way the screen looks, all of a sudden the interface breaks and you have to go, you know, wait on them to like catch up and, and get that data again. We continually build out our library of direct interfaces and as we sign up clients, sometimes we'll, they'll come in and there's one big custodian that they, you know, there's half the practice and we, we add a link to it. And then it's uh, available for us everybody forget.
1: else. You have on your, I really like your list of integrations and uh, there's a couple of firms that do something similar. They post it on their website and for, uh, as a consultant running a big consulting, uh, a decent sized consulting firm, one of the things we look for is how these different tools integrate. And sometimes it's hard to find that data, but firms like MoneyGuide, eMoney, they have it right on their website, all the integrations, and you do the same thing, which I love. Here's all the things we integrate with. Click here to learn more. It's very easy to find who you do and who you don't integrate with. So why did you do that? What, what made you put that out there?
0: Um, my default position is, is to be very, very open and publish everything. Why wouldn't we put our list of integrations on the website? <laughs>
1: Well, it's, it's, it sounds obvious now, but and one of the things I noticed, you, you have an integration with WordPress. I've never seen any wealth management firm, a technology firm, integrating with WordPress. <laughs> why, do you, why do you have that there?
0: Um, yeah, we, we used to actually do our client portal. Mm-hmm. This is pre-Pivot. And we, about three, four years ago, we had a WordPress plugin that essentially let them take any report that was in our library and put it on a WordPress portal. And it ended up requiring a lot more WordPress expertise mm. than we had thought going into it. So it's not mm. used very much anymore. It's uh, you know, still out there. I, actually, I'm not <laughs> totally sure we have anybody uh, actively using it at the moment. <laughs>
1: uh, I just thought it was interesting when I just saw it, like, oh, WordPress yeah. integration. I've never seen that before. Uh, but so, uh, so we're running out of time. I, wanted to, I have a whole bunch more questions for you. We're going to have to schedule another uh, interview soon. So let's talk about some of the things you built uh, from scratch and you built your own rebalancer and I, and I have a, a love for rebalancing. I built a rebalancer. Really? One of the first uh, projects I did in wealth management. Yep. Long time ago. Uh, so building from scratch is not an easy task. Uh, Why did you do that? Why didn't you go with an existing rebalancer and and what are the advantages to having your own rebalancer?
0: It, it goes back to sort of the underlying philosophy be, behind how you build products. And you know, one way to do it is through MA, merger, mergers and acquisitions. You go acquire a block of code. You don't look too closely at whether they write it in the same thing that you wrote your core product in, and you kind of integrate it at a much higher level where you're actually pushing data back and forth between different systems. That's the fast way to do it. It gets you in a lot of cases like users coming in as you do the acquisition. But I feel that at the end of the day, it doesn't result in as good and tight of a product as if you build it yourself. So the way, the way that we've built everything, it all comes off of the same database. It is all written in the same technology. In our case, it's uh, C-sharp, and it all works in the same way. You know, we have it all locked down with test cases. I already mentioned that. So it takes – it's harder to do it that way. It's one of the reasons that it's taken us a little while to build up Steam with uh, Finfolio because at the surface area of what you have to build to be able to compete is much larger now. But – Now we have a rebalancer that is like surfaced in the API in the exact same way that say our report engine is surfaced in the API. They all interact. You can write code that like merges them all together. Like the rebalancer, for example, uses some of the calculations that we have in the report engine. Times it checks like realized, unrealized gain, and it like is all flowing through the same stack. So at the end of the day, you have a much smaller and tighter code base. It uh, is easier to navigate as we bring in and train new developers and I feel that it uh, it, it ultimately delivers a better final result too.
1: Those are all good points because yeah, there's it's a constant battle between uh, all-in-one and best of breed.
0: Yes, that's right.
1: Uh, one other thing I want to talk about was uh, your, uh, your analytical tools and well, I've been writing a lot about AI and machine learning and how that's Uh, sort of revolutionizing the way people think about wealth management. How are are your analytical tools being used and how do you see them uh, being used by your clients?
0: Good question. We have an area of our software and, and the API that we call dashboards, which is where you do firm level analytics. And you can look at run calculations and look across all of your accounts at once and make business decisions based on that. You know, who's generating your revenue? Where is it coming from? Do you have, if you're a larger firm, you you know need to worry about your reps from a producer standpoint, you know, who's adding accounts, who's who's losing accounts, or assets under management usually. So we have built that out. There's a lot you can do. You can run rates of return, you can uh you know, main, mainly there's the, you, you worry about like who's adding or removing uh, assets. Um, you also can do that programmatically through the API. If you want to, you can like pull this all into a spreadsheet and start doing analysis there. And this is a real-time spreadsheet that gets updated every time you you know hit F9 and it refreshes and like repulls the data from the API. It's it's really cool what you can do nowadays.
1: It certainly is, and it's it's always amazing. Uh, more and more tools being put into the hands of advisors and advisory firms, broker dealers, to make it easier to run their business and also easier to see their data and, and move them up what the, the, what we used to call the capability maturity model, become a more mature organization where you can you can optimize your business by looking at the underlying data, which wasn't available before. Yep, that's right. Great. Well, Matt, uh, we're out of time and I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing and in, in doing a deep dive on technology with me and kind of geeking out on, on, uh, on the underlying tech of wealth management.
0: Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. Well,
1: we're going to do it again. I got a whole list of questions we didn't get to ask. So thanks. Have a great vacation. It's your first day in Sanibel Island. And thanks again for taking the time out and enjoy the weather.
0: Thank you. Take care.
1: Hey, it's Craig again. And I really enjoyed this uh, episode with Matt. Uh, I love hearing uh, the history of the industry del- delving deep into the people who really built it you know, building the the first tools and technology that advisors were using, the first internet-based tools, portfolio management, portfolio accounting. Really good stuff to hear how that went down. And I really feel Matt has obviously grown as a person and uh, is very zen about what happened to him uh, back when he sold his firm to Advent all those years ago and how the system has built and, and grown and how they're leveraging new technologies. Uh, a lot of our episodes recently have been about APIs Uh, application programming interfaces and how firms are building on top of APIs. And as Matt said, eating their own dog food. I really wish more vendors would do that. I think there'd be less bugs and less uh, clients having to deal with issues they didn't expect if vendors only ate their own dog food. Well, that's the end of this episode. Please remember to like us, share us, and subscribe and give us five-star reviews wherever you can. And look forward to seeing you all again next time.